eating is the most taxing thing that your body has to go through every time it eats to keep you alive. If you think about it, you have in a neighborhood of 30 feet of gut inside of you. My name is Sarah Inglis, and I'm a certified integrative health coach. I help people thrive in their bodies and reclaim the health they've always wanted. Each week, I interview people who have a passion for health. You'll hear from health experts, farmers, herbalists, doctors, chefs, and many more. My hope is that they'll inspire us all to tune into our gut and notice how lifestyle and food impact us. In this podcast episode, Lauren Brolier Newton, CEO of Soul Savvy and recipient of the Outstanding Impact Award from Brave Thinking Institute, is joining me to speak with Dr. Edison DeMello about his widely acclaimed book, Bloated. Dr. DeMello is the founder and chief medical officer of the internationally renowned Akasha Center for Integrative Medicine in Santa Monica, California. He uses evidence-based integrative medicine to help his patients feel their absolute best. I am a huge fan of Dr. DeMello because he has a holistic view of health. He bridges the gap between Eastern and Western philosophies. I'm curious to find out what motivated him to write his book, Bloated. I love that he's written about this taboo topic with humor and compassion, as well as with supported scientific information. It's a highly readable book which anyone suffering from bloating can understand. So many of my clients tell me that they want to get rid of their bloating. So I am excited to dive into this week's episode. I'm so very, very excited to have both, both of you here with me today. I am blessed. So I'm going to start with you, Dr. DeMello. What do you think most important for people to know about the mind-gut connection. The mind-body connection is the essence of life, right? Um, that's here, and uh, you add spirit there, and then you have the whole, you know, the whole gift of life. So uh, w if our brains are our hard drive, the gut is the executor of the hard drive. It's what makes it work. So for instance, right, it's 12 noon, one o'clock, you're hungry. You're hungry because your brain needs glucose. But your brain's gonna get glucose through metabolism in your gut, through the food that you're going to eat. So the brain sends a signal to the gut that says, I'm hungry, prepare, prepare for landing, right? And the whole process starts. So you wanna sleep, the same thing, you're tired, you know, you have to have send signals to your body that says, it's time to go to bed, let's create the sleep hormone, right? We all love to be able to sleep well, melatonin is wonderful, it helps us relax, but that message goes from your brain, from your neurons, straight down to your, you know, to the rest of your body, starting with your gut, right? the feel-good hormone, serotonin, that we all know about it, right? A great majority of, the, of it, and I'm talking about a great majority, 
being over in the, in the neighborhood of 90% and above is actually metabolized and produced, metabolized, and absorbed in your gut. That is, again, through the message between your incredible hard drive, your neurons, and the gut. So when you, when you ask me, Sarah, this very good question about what's the significance of the brain-gut access, I would say life. That really brings me to the point that of the importance of keeping your gut healthy, right? To yes. create a good connection with your brain for the messaging. So, so in your book, Bloated, and I love the fact that you added a question mark to it. Like, yes. are, excuse me, are you bloated? I have so many markers in it because okay. I love reading it. But um, why, why do you think so many people experiencing bloating nowadays? I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm assuming this is why you wrote the book because you have so many clients. A lot of my patients, I'd say over 50% of them come in with an issue that is related to the gut. They may not present with the gut as being the primary issue, but the, sec the primary issue happens because of the secondary issue, which is the gut. Let's take depression, for example. Somebody walks in and says, you know, I don't have any reason why I have no motivation. I'm very lethargic every day. Life is not pushing me forward. Everything seems to go be going down the drain. Most wonderful doctors out there will not refer to the gut will say, okay, well, you know, have you tried this medication? Have, try, have you tried the medication? Which obviously is a very important question and may be part of the treatment protocol. But the first question is, why is this happening and why now? That's the first question, right? Why is this happening and why now? And the body talks to you, you know? It gives you, it tells you exactly what you want in its own language that language is called symptoms, right? That's the language of the body of telling us, the host to our bodies, that something is off. And, you know, I work with a lot of analogies when I write or I teach, so let's create a, bring up the analogy of a parent. Like for those of us who have children, who have taken care of children, when a baby's there crying, she is trying to tell you something. And your job as a parent is to listen to that cry and interpret it. And eventually, you get to learn that when she's hungry, there's a different pitch to the cry. When she has a strange anxiety, she does something different in addition to the crying. So you learn to connect the dots. Well, that's exactly what your body is asking of you. So when it's having symptoms, it's actually crying for help. And your job is to listen to that and start to make sense of it and start to ask questions, right? So going back to the depression uh, uh, example that I was giving, somebody walks in and says, I'm depressed, I, I don't have any joy of life, things are harder than they should be because they're not really that bad, it's my perception of it. I'm going to ask them why now, you know, and what do you think is going on? Tell me more, and we're going to look to see why is the body not producing serotonin. 
right? Serotonin is the happy hormone. Why is the body not producing melatonin, the sleep hormone? Or in case of a woman, is, is she perimenopausal? Is there something going on with progesterone, for example, also metabolized significantly in your gut, right, in your gastrointestinal system? It needs the connection. Is there something going on where your ovaries and other parts of your body being being released in hormone, but it's not being metabolized? And by metabolized, I mean, again, another analogy, right? If you have a hormone, it needs a receptor, like a key and a lock. If you have a key and you don't have a lock, that key is useless. But if I give you a key and I give you a lock, then here you go. There's a connection. There is a connection that then makes things happen. In this case, unlock the door. So that's how hormones need, that's what they need to operate more efficiently. Those receptors to create the connection are in most part along the gastrointestinal wall. I know there are many, many causes for disruption in the gut, dysbiosis or, or for bloating, but if you had to say or narrow it down to a few, would you say that in general that many of your patients who you see um, the causes of the disruption are similar? Certainly, Sarah, there are prevalent causes and there are common denominator causes, right? But the first thing that I would say to the first part of your question is what's the common denominator in all those people? Or in most people have gastrointestinal issues. And I'd say the common denominator it can be uh, summarized in a very famous quote that then I added through hearing from somewhere, I added more to it. And the, the quote is, you are what you eat. And then I added, <laughs> and, and what you have been fed, which is very important. You are what you eat and you, wa you are what you're being fed. Now, certainly I'm talking about food, but I'm also talking about other things that are fed to us. We either feed ourselves or fed to us. When you turn on your TV to see this horrendous war happening and you're, and you're doing that while you're eating, imagine what's doing to the whole process of metabolizing your food. You are adding stress, you're adding sadness, you're adding lack of attention to a process called eating that is essential for you to be able to have a healthy life. And so um, not only we need to look at what we are putting into our bodies, and the American um, diet is notorious for that, right? The supersized meat, the sugar, 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 the testing that they do out there at the food industries, which I have a chapter in the book that talks about it, to basi basically get people hooked in their junk food they do those tests, and we, the consumers, fall for that as you know, easy praise. In addition to what's happening out there, outside our control, we have much more control than we think we do when it comes to our health. One of them is to say no. <laughs> 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 right? <laughs> it's so simple. 
say no, <laughs> right? Why ask yourself, you know, going back to the child, um, parent-child analogy, you know, you become a certain time in your life, you become the parent to your body, right? I mean, who puts you to sleep? Who feeds you? Who bathes you? Who protects you from being hit by a car? So you are, in your case, these two very brilliant women here with me, you are the mamas to your body. And the, and the men out there, you are the papas to your body. So let me ask you a question. Would you treat your child the way you treat your body? For over 25 years, I was a teacher and one of my greatest joys in life is seeing people light up when they have an aha moment. It is pure magic. I've now combined teaching with my knowledge of health into live workshops. I teach throughout the country about gut health and how to transform your health. If you'd like to know when I'll be in your city, subscribe to my newsletter in the description of this podcast. I, I love, I love that metaphor because right. it, it's like when once somebody asked me, now I want you, Sarah, to tie up your sneak, sneakers if you were tying it up for one of your children. For, first, I tied it just being me. And of course, it was like, what? Dang. That's really profound. That's it is. And so take a step back. Learn not to become a victim of what's being put in front of you. You have the power to say no. You have the power of moderation. I'm not the one who promotes a strict diet where there's no pleasure. Who doesn't like to sit and have a little piece of chocolate, dark chocolate? Or have a dessert one in a, uh, once in a while. Or better yet, have a glass of wine, right? With a French bread and a little cheese. Are you salivating already? Because I am, <laughs> right? Yes, yes, yes. Are right. we coming over after uh, this? Yes, you can. <laughs> you can. But the question is, here's the question. Can you have the wine instead of the wine having you? Can you, can you have the dessert instead of the dessert having you? Can you look at it and say, wait a second, do I need to eat that huge piece of pie that was put in front of me? Have you seen the size of the dessert that they serve? Do I really need to do that? Or do I, can I just look at it and go, I'm going to give my brain the little, you know, um, the little treat that it wants, and I'm going to be mindful about it. And so it's all about moderation. It's all about not being impulsive when you make decisions about how to treat your body, how to treat your gut. As you're describing it, there's this intentionality. There's this intentionality around the way you care for yourself and what you put inside your body. Exactly. There's a conscious decision that most of us do not make when we eat. We, we invented drive-through junk food. Can you imagine that? What we're saying to the people out there, what we're saying to our, to our bodies, I have no time for you. My work, my driving from A to B is more important. So just put up with how I'm going to eat. I'm going to be eating while I'm driving. I'm going to eat. I'm not going to focus on my chewing. I'm going to be multitasking because your body is not important enough. That's what we're saying. 
when we go through the drive-through. Now, believe me, I've gone through drive-throughs, and I probably will again in an emergency situation. So for those listeners out there who depend on drive-through to be able to nurture their bodies in the middle of the day, please know that I'm not judging you. What I'm saying is, even if, if you need to do that, be aware. Perhaps you can, you know, buy the food, in the, in the eat in the car while you're sitting if you cannot get out of the restroom. But multitasking, eating while you're driving, it's not good for you. It doesn't give the body the, the stillness that it needs to metabolize those foods, to be able to be present in your body. You know, um, Sarah and Lauren, eating is fundamental, um, fundamentally vital for life. And eating is the most taxing thing that your body has to go through every time it eats to keep you alive. If you think about it, you have in a neighborhood of 30 feet of gut inside of you. 30 feet. And you go like, how is that possible? Because it looks like a telephone cord. It's very, it's, it looks like this, right? Here. Like it's all, that's your gut right there, a telephone cord, right? Can you imagine what your food needs to do to be able to pass through those small, you know, the small gut, sometimes large, sometimes small, then the amount of, of enzymes that it needs to release, hydrochloric acid, all the metabolic processes that it needs to do so that you can metabolize your food that's very taxing in your body. No wonder why after a huge Thanksgiving dinner, when people overeat, m m half of them have to fall asleep soon after because it's just too much. And your body says, wait, I cannot do both. If I'm going to metabolize those foods, I need a break from having to protect you from the elements. So go to sleep. I'm, of course, I'm simplifying this piece so to make people understand. No wonder why for those um, people who love to eat red meat, why do you get so tired after eating a piece of red meat in most cases? Because it, 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 in you, your body needs a lot of energy. It requires a lot of energy to break it down. So when you think about those things, what the body has to go through to be able to metabolize the food that you need to stay vital, then you must pay attention to the process of eating. It's not a casual process. It must be part of your everyday thinking, planning. And if you could sit down, even if it's for 10 minutes, and focus on that eating, and focus on gratitude that your body is going to take this food you know, turn into this incredible fuel that is going to help you continue to go towards the life that you want to have, that you set up for yourselves, then eating and gratitude must come together. Do you find this information helpful? Is there a certain topic you'd like us to cover? Leave us a comment and review about what you'd like to hear. Yeah, and, and that's, um, that's a struggle for all of us, right? Because oh. we're, we're so distracted by 
all the information out there, um, even though it might seem like a good distraction, but um, putting our bodies first, you know, writing that into our on our calendar, Lauren, right? <laughs> putting yes. that in the calendar, like this is my lunch break that I'm going to pause. So, so it's maybe the first, the most important step I hear you saying that when we talk about slowing down, doing a meditative practice or exercising, perhaps what I hear you saying is that eating is, is a really great place to start. Exactly. It's the most important you know, place to start because eating is your fuel. How can a car run without fuel? How can a refrigerator work without electricity, without fuel? And so if you want to have the life of your dreams, if you want to be able to move forward with vitality, feeling confident in your body, feeling that you've, you know that you'll soon be reaching to the stars, the first step is to be aware of your eating. And it doesn't have to be major changes that is going that are going to be you know um, a, a rock in your way it can be simple things like this for example do you really need to eat while you're looking at your phone right how many of us do that have you have you noticed in restaurants even if it's uh, two or three people if it's one person forget it the person is sitting alone the food here and the phone is here right but even I'm astounded sometimes when I go to restaurants and I see people together. You know, they they came together for a reason. Hopefully food is one of the reasons, but being together is also a good reason. But yeah, they're on their phone. So ask yourself, and maybe, maybe you do have to be on the phone. Maybe your babysitter needs you to be on. Maybe your patient, in my case, needs you to be on. I'm not talking about those extreme cases. I'm talking about choices that you can make differently. Do you really need to eat while you are on social media? Do you really need to eat while you're watching TV? Can you set up a dinner table for you, even if you're eating alone, where there's a placemat, where there is your, you know, your this, where you're saying to yourself and to your body, this is me giving my tempo my body the fuel that it needs i used when I, a long time ago when i made the switch you know in medicine you are never given time when you're training to eat to sleep to be a human being you're taught to sleep while you're standing right but i made a decision as soon i realized that my my health was going down the drain in medical training i made a decision that whenever possible i was going to set up my table for my dinner and I was going to put a candle. I was going to take myself out on a date, on a dinner date, whenever I could. And that's uh, how, you know, I still do that. You know, some whenever I get a chance, we will put, a, we light a candle. That simple fact of lighting a candle says, oh look, I'm thinking of how to be peaceful in my body as I receive the nurturing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a, a great transition, I think, into my question. Everything that I did to get into this work 
stemmed from when I was age 14 to 21 having terrible gut issues to the point where I would only go to school, go to work, go home, and otherwise I was afraid to go anywhere because of my persistent gut issues. And when I learned how to think differently, so when you said the quote, you are what you eat and what you've been fed, when I learned how to think different thoughts, how to release anxiety, how to not do what you're saying, which is go through a drive-through and be listening to the news mm. while you're eating and driving. And when I learned all that, my gut issues seemed to magically, and of course now we know it wasn't magic, but they magically went away in a very short period of time. So with that lead up, my question for you is, and what my life's work today is, is of course helping people build the life that they want. What do you think is the importance of dreams, fulfilling your purpose, doing what you feel like you were born to do in this lifetime. What do you think the importance of that is in relation to health and wellness? That's what a great question. <laughs> do you have a couple of hours, Lauren? <laughs> <laughs> or a few weeks. Right, or, that's a great title for a workshop. Um, um, I, I think um, the importance of this awareness that you're talking about, mindfulness to your health, is something called serotonin. We go back to the feel-good hormone, right? That's, 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 the, that's the foundation of being present in our bodies, is to understanding the beautiful purpose of the hormone. It's not only the feel-good hormone that it's in, you know, it's in the medication that's the number one seller in the world, which is Prozac, right? It, until the vaccines, uh, thank God the vaccines were here, Prozac was breaking records all over the world because everybody wants to be happy. And who's to blame them, right? But we need to understand why is it that our own production of serotonin is low? Because otherwise, we keep putting a Band-Aid on each wound that we encounter in our lives, or each issue, without ever getting to the root problem, to the root cause of it. So your question is excellent because of that. It leads to the idea of what you are doing. You were decreasing your stress hormone called cortisol. And while you are decreasing cortisol, you are increasing your serotonin. Why is that? Because, because cortisol is a serotonin inhibitor. It inhibits serotonin. And so when you are able to sit and, and eat calmly, when you're able to relax, when you're able to understand the beautiful connection between mind and body, then what you're doing is you're increasing your serotonin by simply decreasing cortisol. And Lauren, we don't have to go very far, you know. I, I'm, um, I'm. Uh, my first language is Portuguese, and then English became a second language, and I have a third and fourth language out there. So because of that, I'm very curious about neurolinguistics. And of course, I hear words differently in Portuguese than somebody who learns Portuguese. I l sometimes, even though it's been almost 50 years in the U.S. I still hear words different than if I if lang if English had been my first language. So when somebody says "stand up," I go, "Oh, stand up, right? Oh, stand up. You see this connection I made? Or breakfast? Oh, you're breaking fast." So I'm able 
to make those connections easier than somebody that, you know, uh, whose English is a native tongue. And with that, I'm very interested in English, uh, especially American English, that has a very heavy association, our language, when in regards, in, re in relation to feelings, have a very close asso associations with the gut, right? We say things, for example, hey, what's your gut feeling about this? Right? Well, or here's another one we say, you know what? I don't have a good intuition about this, and we put our hands in our belly, right? I don't, uh, inevitably, it's, it's, you don't even realize that's what you're doing. You put your hands there in your belly. Or here, God, I'm so anxious, I feel like I have butterflies in my stomach. There's more, right? Here's another one. Oh, God, that hurts so much, I feel. I got kicked in my stomach, or it feels as if I got kicked in my stomach. So when you look at the language that we use, the lay, the lay language, the slang type of language to describe our emotions, the gastrointestinal system is heavily favored in being able to express to your listeners, to the person that you're trying to communicate with, how you're feeling. You go to the gut, and then you go, but why? Well, serotonin is the good the feel-good hormone, serotonin also is one of the hormones that mediates pain. So if you have low serotonin, you have high pain, uh, high levels of pain, or lower, you know, lower tolerance to pain, tolerance to pain. And so when you start to understand this, then you start to understand the power of language in describing our emotions, in this case, the, uh, specifically American English. Is that, did I answer your question? Yes. yes. Absolutely. I mean, it just gives the scientific backing to why we start to live into purpose and things that matter to us and thinking along clear lines and nurturing ourselves, why everything seems to get better. Because yeah. now, like you said, we're robbing that cortisol and increasing that serotonin. It's beautiful. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and then let earlier on, uh, Sarah had asked me about the main causes of, uh, of bloating um, and we started with the gut but of course because the gut leads everything you know and then we went into behavior right eating while you're driving or eating when you're not paying attention but there are other things that you also do for instance how many times do we drink our drinks through a straw so when you're sucking a drink through a straw you're sucking air into your gut right that's another so I say to people uh, Dr. DeMello I'm bloated let's talk about not only your heating habits right but also things that you do mechanically that can be um, increasing bloating so drinking carbonated water and worse yet drinking carbonated water with a straw <laughs> right <laughs> or a carbonated drink <laughs> right exactly exactly um, so those are one of the, the things that you can do to decrease bloating uh, the, uh, the most uh, medically speaking secondary to all this behavior this habits that we talk about in bloating Bloating is, in most cases, also very, very connected with the levels of bacteria in your gut, with something called the microbiome. And 
we were talking earlier on, <laughs> as Sarah, uh, Laurie, and I, um, and Kalia about you know uh, the fact that in the book I've used um, I used the beehive as an example of what the microbiome can look like, or just a, 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 a an example, or to, you know, so that you can have an analogy. And then Sarah said, "That's very interesting." why the microbiome uh, and why the, the beehive, it's because how many of you have seen a microbiome before? You know, I mean, I know I haven't, and I'm in a field, <laughs> right? So when you're talking about the microbiome, you're talking about something that is so very important to our lives, or our health, but it's an abstract concept. It's completely abstract, unless you can bring it to the surface and connect it to something that most people can relate to. And we've, we've always, we've all seen a microbiome, not perhaps not in physical form, but through a TV show or a movie or we've read in a book. And that's what it is, right? The microbiome, um, or the, in this case, a beehive is, you know, hundreds of thousands of bees working together with one single goal to produce good honey. And what they need is they need the be they need uh, poll pollination, good food, good temperature. They need good water, a good water source. But uh, they also need a beekeeper who cares so much about them that he knows that the best way to show them love is to leave them alone. And so we leave them alone. It doesn't go in poking. So let's go to the microbiome. What's the microbiome? literally billions and trillions of bacteria in your gut that has the function of metabolism. Those are the same bacteria that helps you, that helps us make wine, that helps us make cheese, that help us make fermented foods, right? That's the same bacteria that helps us sometimes with protecting ourselves from other bacteria, the so-called so helpful bacteria. So the microbiome does that, and then the function of the microbiome then is to promote a lot of this metabolic process, to help you with your hormone metabolism, to help you with you know, creating better enzymes for your body, to help you make sure that your food is going the proper way, or is being metabolized the proper way. What happens when the microbiome overgrows? Here's another example, you have a beautiful yard, beautiful garden, you put your lawn and suddenly there's this unwanted other weed that keeps coming up. And then you go, it's destroying my beautiful lawn. So you need to take that out. So that's what happens when you have bad bacteria. Because of bad eating, because of stress, because of the busy life that we have, bad, bad bacteria can come in and basically challenge the good bacteria. And so they can, they can, instead of being at bay, they can overgrow. And that's what's called intestinal bacteria overgrowth, right? And so, you know, and when that grows, you can have something called SIBO, you can have something called, um, you know, inflammatory bowel disease. It's all a way to explain a symptom, but the symptom is the same. And the idea to do, to take care of this, ill-functioning microbiome is to listen to your gut, is to talk to somebody who knows what she is doing, to get some coaching, and then to be curious about why am I feeling this and why now? 
because that is where the answer is for most people who want to be healthy. And to read books like what I put out there, there's their websites that can help you, their coaches like Sarah and Lauren that can help you. You know, these are the people that can walk, they can be out in your corner and be somewhat more objective because they are able, they're not living with what you're living. So they can step back and say, okay, right now, here's the steps that I've learned we need to take to be able to have you optimize your health. The wellness center that you've created, Dr. DeMello, is just so, all, appears to be so all-encompassing of um, bringing Eastern and Western philosophies and practices together, looking at the whole person. When did you first have that dream to, to create the Akasha Center? Because it's just, a, in my point of view, it's a phenomenal model. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, so grateful. Um, I am a, a psychologist by training as well. And uh, when I was writing a PhD dissertation, I wanted to write one in gut feeling. Uh, I saw that a lot of my uh, clients as a psychologist coming in and having a lot of issues in their lives, and usually a common denominator physically for my patients were that their guts were out of balance. And so I became very interested in that. So when it came time for me to go into my doctorate program and to decide on a thesis, uh, and a dissertation actually, I chose gut feelings. So it's called gut feelings, psychosocial factors in gastrointestinal disease. And you know, I've been around the corner for a little bit. So this, we're talking about 1994, 1993. And, um, and so I went to do my research at a hospital in Oakland, California called Highland Hospital. And back then, it was the hospital that served a lot of people that were, you know, underserved. They were marginalized by the system. And so I wanted to go there. And as I was doing research to collect the data, which ranged from doctors not knowing what to do with these patients to doing what's called exploratory surgery, because they couldn't figure out, only to find out there was nothing wrong with their gut. The, even that I was seeing, I realized that have such an immense passion for this and so as a kid I've always wanted to be a doctor my youth used to cut my my sister's doll uh, you know doll's arm so that I could surgical surgically <laughs> reattach it <laughs> she would say mom he's doing it again <laughs> I <laughs> so being a doctor was always part of my part of my kind of vision, but life took a different turn and I decided to become a psychologist. It's what I could do instead. And when I got there, I realized, oh no, 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 no. I, I'm gonna go into medical school. I've gotta do this. And I was about 31, 32 years old at the time. And people thought I was having a midlife crisis, an early midlife crisis. <laughs> How can a 32 year old be going to medical school? And so, so um, and right then I realized that what I wanted was a center that became a sanctuary for help, for health. That was, you know, I didn't want the white walls. I didn't want the smell of a medical office. I wanted to create a home with a living room called the waiting room and then a nice sitting area 
where people would come to have a conversation with me about their health. I wanted them to start feeling better the moment they walked in, to realize that here's a place of where we see you. And I wanted to instill upon my team, because I'm lucky to have been able to put together, the idea that you have to meet your patients before you meet their diseases. If you don't meet the patient before you meet the disease, you're missing a great part of the equation. You know, uh, the patient's medical history, be it, or part of the medical history, be it cardiovascular disease, cancer, it's on the website somewhere you can find, you know, a paper that describes the symptom. But the patient's life is not there. Go find out what that passion, what their passion is. Um, what makes them tick? What's the vision for them li for themselves? Ask them if this disease had a message. Not that we're not gonna take care of it. We will. But if had if it had a message for you, what would that message be? And so that's how uh, the Akasha Center came to creation. And Akasha for me, it's a Sanskrit word that means the fifth element. There's four elements on the planet, right? Water, fire, air. Um, and the, but those elements and earth, but those elements do not exist separate from one another. There is an energy that links them together. They weave in between them. That energy is the Akashic energy. You can call it the sixth sense. You can call it, you know, intuition. I call it the Akasha energy, which is a sense that you have, an intuition that you have that connects all the other elements on the planet. So. That's a beautiful, beautiful answer. I want to ask you uh, one last question, and that is if you could go back 30 years and give yourself health advice, what would it be? Um, I think I think I would be it's, I think I would go back to and, and be more conscious about what we've been talking about as part of, as part of the podcast which is mindful eating. I, I think I would show more respect to my body's process of eating. I think I would try to show it more gratitude and to say, my goodness, what you do for me every day to allow me to operate, to reach for my dreams, is unbelievably generous. It's unbelievably kind. It's unbelievably, unbelievably strong. I mean, you get up every day and you go to work. Your body has been working for you all night long. So in the morning, you could get up and go to work. You never think about it. You think about, oh, I have to brush my teeth. I have to have breakfast. I have to put the kids to school. Oh, I need to call, you know, my ride. Whatever you do, you think about logistics which I, of course we need to, I do the same thing. But how many of us say, wow, body, you got me ready for this. Wow, right? When you're sitting and talking, right? In a, in a few minutes when we are done with this, I'm gonna have to get up and go see patients. You know, I have to get up against atmospheric pressure. There's five tons of pressure pushing down on me, but yet I'm gonna get up and walk without even thinking about it. And what it takes for me to do that, it's unbelievably beautiful. And some of us may even say divine, you know, because blood has to rush all the way to your legs. 
your blood pressure has to balance so that you know it doesn't get low it doesn't go low too low because otherwise you're going to fall so your blood pressure has to regulate your eyes have to focus where you're going so your pupils get a little smaller because it's going to focus and then you get up and you do this and you go do your life how many of us think about that and so that's what i would do if i could go back 20 years ago show my body a lot of love a lot of gratitude and a lot of like my god you've got my back uh, let, should I say, you've got my body, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's so beautiful. It is yeah. so very beautiful. Giving us the pictures to remember all this vital information and to help me better respect my own body. I am just in awe and I think when people listen to this podcast, this is something that will change the course of their life forever by means of your generosity and sharing it with us today. So I'm choked up because I know how meaningful this is going to be to so many people who have the opportunity to hear it. Wow. <laughs> Makes me really very pleased, very honored and very grateful to spend this hour with both of you. So thank you again for having me. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> <laughs>